1: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How are you doing today? I am so
0: happy to be here today.
1: We got some friends in the neighborhood. Who do we have?
0: Quarto Valley recording artists, The Immediate Family. So, The Immediate Family, while you may not know them by the name of the band they have played with, all of our favorite artists over the years, over 50 years. These guys are the greatest studio musicians of all time. They have played with everyone from Warren Zevon, Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Nicks, Keith Richards, Carly Simon, everybody. We have Danny Korchmar, Waddy Wachtel, Steve Postel, Leland Sklar, and Russ Kunkel.
1: So let's welcome the family to our neighborhood.
0: Welcome, you guys.
2: Yeah, glad to be here. We are thrilled to be here.
1: Welcome. Yeah, this is great. Let's get started with immediately with the Immediate Family. This is not just um, a, a one-off project. Or it, it seems like you guys have been together. You've been playing together for a couple years. Is that correct?
0: As this band, as
1: the Immediate yeah, as Family, as the Immediate Family. Here. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. We, you need to ask one of us, you know, call the name. <laughs> then we'll answer. So We're not
1: stepping all over each other. That's right. We, we, we asked you what to do and Someone, now we, uh... okay. Someone step up. Initially it was Danny. It'd start with you. You, you had an opportunity to, to start a band. Is that how this happened?
3: <laughs> yeah. I was offered a, uh, uh, a, a, a deal to make a record for a Japanese label and they were going to finance it and everything like that. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know exactly which way to jump with it. Uh, For a while and then i realized that everyone was in town amazingly russ and lee were around Waddy was still out roddy came in later um but uh, when i realized that russ and lee were around and that wad was going to be around you know around for the last couple of days i said "Well, that's the way we got to go you know my oldest and dearest pals guys i've been playing with for a million years so we started to play and started to record what was going to be a solo album for me and as we were doing it i realized and i think we all realized how great it would be to make it into a band and to gig and, and uh, proceed as, as, a, as a band, a rock and roll band. So that's kind of what we did. first gig I think we did was, uh, we, well, it wasn't the first gig, but we ended up going to Japan to promote the album. I asked the record company there, um, what's the name of the company? I can't remember. Uh, Divid. I asked them to, to call it Danny Gorshman, An Immediate Family, which we did. And uh, so that's how it started. And um, now, of course, it's just immediate family, and we are a band. That was, like you know, almost three years ago. So, you know, we're, we take it real seriously. We love it. We love each other. We're all very close friends. And that's how it came to pass.
0: So you've been close friends for, or most of you have known each other for close to 50 years? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not even sure who to direct this <laughs> one to, but well, I'll take it. wadi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how we know that we know all the artists that you guys have have played for in the past, that you know Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, all all our favorite artists. But how and we know that you've overlapped, but how much did you play together back then, and how much was there? You know, were you playing uh, like in parallel with other artists?
4: Well, we were we were playing in studio for all these different artists, so. Like a, a, a normal week would be a, a day full of sessions where I would start the day probably with Leland and Russell on a session for somebody, then go to another session, and Danny would be there, we'd play on a session together. Uh, you know, later on that night, maybe uh, as the years went by, I was producing Warren Zevon, so all of a sudden, I got Leland Russell and Danny in the studio with us. So And that's how it is. I mean we were just constantly in each other's lives every day, almost every day. We would meet and be playing for you know Stevie or Linda or you know Rita Coolidge or Andrew Gold or Helen Reddy. It was an assortment of every artist in town, and we were uh, meeting every every uh, every session. One one or two of us would at least be together on a, on a date you know during the week every day. You know, and so did- we were constantly together.
0: All five of you.
4: Well, no, we didn't. Steve is the newcomer. We've only known him about fifteen years, <laughs> so he's the he's the greenest one. But we've been we've been in each other's lives for like fifty years. I mean, I met Leland first. I met Russell next, and then uh, Lou Adler hired me to come play on a session with Leland, Russell, and Danny. And uh, there was the, there was the beginning of the band right then. It was the first time we'd all been together. And we've played a million sessions together since then.
1: Was the Troubadour part of this uh, scene for you guys? Or was this kind of, I know, you know, back in the, the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of the artists that you played with were, were playing at the Troubadour. Were you part of that scene at the time? Was anybody playing there?
4: Russell, you want to take that? Russell, take
5: that. Sure, yeah. Um, I played at the Troubadour. We played there with, uh, with James and Carol. We played there a couple times. What was the first year, Danny, that we did that, 1970.
3: Probably
5: seventy seventy one something like that, and I, I played there another time with Carly Simon, and uh, went there a lot to see lots of band. I saw Elton John there when he played the first time when he came over with his band, which was phenomenal. I saw Cat Stevens there. We we're you know that was one of the one of the great places to go.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, actually, that does remind me that it was actually on this day in nineteen seventy one that James Taylor hit number one with "You've Got a Friend." Um, who was in on the, really? who was in the on those sessions? I know a couple of you guys Danny. were there.
3: Danny Well that was uh, that was
1: Russell Lee and myself. Okay. Yeah, that. for some reason I always thought that Carol Kane's version was a single as well, but it wasn't. It was James Apparently version. not. No, it was an album cut. Yeah, although yeah. It,
5: James James shoulder hopped her on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. how did that come about? Like did, was there an agreement or, or you both played you played on both sessions? Is that is that correct? Well, I did. I do too.
5: Yeah, and Russell did. There you go. Uh, Danny Carol has an answer to that question. How does she? She always politely answers it. (laughs) That that James kind of just said, "Oh, by the way, I recorded your song before she had a chance to record it."
3: (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, but they all got along. There was no hard feelings. Right, right. uh, You know, everyone was selling records and everyone was making money. So nobody got there. Nobody got bent out of shape behind it.
1: It was a true family. Was Joni Mitchell on those sessions as well?
3: She sang back up with James on You Got a Friend, She's one of the harmony singers.
1: Um, oh, okay. On just James' version of that? Yeah. Wow, okay.
0: Speaking of that, I also read in one of, one of the interviews recently that you had not seen uh, Laurel Canyon, the film by Allison Elwood. Have you seen it yet, Danny?
3: Yes, I have seen it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw it. This must have been a couple of months ago. Was, right. Do you mm-hmm. feel like it was representative of the scene?
3: Yeah, I think it was, you know, to a large degree. There was more going on than what they covered, but... Those were the main stars. Those were the biggest stars that came out of Laurel Canyon at that time. So yeah. I get it.
0: Mm-hmm. We thought you did a great job. <laughs> okay. Um, Actually, Russ uh, is in that film.
3: Russ is yeah. in, in the Laurel Canyon film. I'm not, but Russ is in it. So.
5: <laughs> I was, yeah. I was. It's, it's, you, would, you would never notice
0: it. <laughs> Where were you? He was in that. Just, I was,
5: I would, the, the concept for that film, which I thought was really good, is instead of having a bunch of talking heads, it was basically a film kind of built around Henry Diltz. Mm-hmm. Who great friend of all of ours who pretty much documented and still does you know the rock and roll scene in Los Angeles and uh, and took so many great album covers but other than Henry being interviewed and and key people being interviewed and on camera they interviewed a lot of people and just and they would be showing what they they found all this archival footage so they'd be talking about something. And then the, all the people that they interviewed, you they would just you know put your name down at the bottom, and then they would play your audio about whatever that scene was yeah. that they were showing. And I thought rather than have a film of a bunch of talking heads, the, the way that they did it made it more
0: interesting. Yeah, she did a really nice job with that, and it doesn't it, it leads you in the moment.
1: I think there's also talk of a documentary with you, men. Is this uh, is this true? It's in the works. Leland, tell Come on, Leland, speak Leland.
0: up. Yes, yeah, speak up.
1: The, the quiet guy in the background playing the bass. Holding it together.
0: Very funny. The comedian.
2: Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, Denny Tedesco is doing a documentary uh, about us. Denny Tedesco was Tommy Tedesco's son, and he made the documentary The Wrecking Crew, Mm -hmm. which is a fantastic um, just moment in time of some of the greatest musicians LA's ever known. And uh, and they approached us about doing a documentary about us. And and, uh, Denny's spin on it was real interesting because... You know, he said that the Wrecking Crew was basically about 12 years of work, and nobody ever left the studio. They never toured. They never did. Their their engagement with the artists was strictly in the studio. And he said, you guys are completely different. You've been together for 50 years, and you've toured with the artists. You've written songs for the artists. You've produced the artists. So it's going to be a very different thing. But we were, I mean, I know personally I was profoundly flattered that they – approached us and, you know, because we live in our skin every day and don't really have that perspective on on what we've done. We kind of all know what we've done over all these years, but when somebody presents it to you like that, it's pretty flattering and you go, this is exciting. You know, if it wasn't for the uh, situation we're in right now with COVID, things would have maybe moved a little bit quicker, but everybody's trying to be as safe as possible. So, we're finding alternative ways of doing some of the interview things and things like that, where we can't be hands on together, but it is thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. And, and, and I talked to Danny and Greg, the guys all involved in this thing all the time, and they are still completely pumped about it. So it's going to be great. It's going to really be something special. I think.
0: How far along in the process are you? Well, I don't
2: know where, I don't know what the ultimate end is uh, in their minds, Uh, But they've done a a lot of interviews with major artists that we've worked with over the years. Um, They've interviewed, um, I think they've maybe gotten all of us interviewed. Um, They have um, forensic people going through archival footage to do all that. So I'm not sure, I I can't say where they are at it. I just know that they're working on it all the time. So it's an ongoing process. To do them right, it's a lot of uh, digging digging.
6: Yeah, Denny was actually here yesterday in the studio. Oh, great. Uh, filming. And I was showing them some of our new new songs and uh and they're pretty far along. They're doing they were doing sort of what they call B-roll of just I think they've done everybody else of just us doing our our natural in our natural habitats in our cave. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And on well, your natural habitat, you'd probably be wearing a mask. Yeah.
6: <laughs>
1: um, Leland, you did. Did you you got to play with some of the working crew? Is that is that correct? When you first oh, started yeah, yeah. out, the wrecking crew. Oh, wrecking crew. geez. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I mean it. It was very odd for me. I was in a band in 1967, and when we went in the studio, oh. uh, we weren't allowed to play on our record. The uh, wrecking crew played on our record. We we were we were allowed to sing on it, and I sat there looking through United uh, Studio A window. And I looked in there and there was uh, Carol Kay and Hal Blaine and Jim Gordon and Melvoin and Rubini. And And I looked at that and I thought, not in a million years could I do this job. And they're unbelievable. And three years later, I was working with those guys every day. And uh, Hal was, a. I mean, all of them were dear friends. And I, I, I did a lot of records with all the people within the wrecking crew. And it's it's been hard now, you know, because they've all reached that age where you know they're on a regular basis. It's like World War Two vets, yeah. you know. You catch them and stuff when you can because they are starting to, to go. And we lost Hal a while back, and yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. But their legacy is going to live forever because they made some fantastic music. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah, that's why it's great to have that documentary, and it's great that they're yeah. they're recording they're getting you guys on that um i, I in your I, prime yeah i saw yeah i saw yeah, well, one interview you, <laughs> <laughs> holly's good at that all right talking with five guys how's it going holly how are you hanging in there
0: i am great these five guys are the immediate family
1: I'm gonna take a little breather and we will be right back
0: We're back with Quarto Valley recording artists, the Immediate Family.
1: On what difference does it make? A podcast. <laughs> I did see one thing where uh, Leland, you did learn a trick fr- from uh, about uh, no, no. when you when you when you're talking to producers or they ask you to do something. Can you?
2: Oh okay, yeah, I- I- it was. I'll, g- I'll give you a quick synopsis. I was uh, doing a project at Universal Studios. They used to have a beautiful studio there, and we used to do all of our TV shows there. And I think we were doing Air Wolf for Night Rider, one of those shows. And I'm sitting next to Tommy Tedesco, and in those days, when you were sitting behind baffles, all the people in the room could see was basically, you know, your nose and your eyes. And uh, the uh, guy across the room who was conducting kept asking Tommy for different instruments because he wasn't hearing what he wanted to hear. And there's a pretty good-sized orchestra, and Tommy would just bend down and disappear and pick up another instrument and play it until till the guy finally heard the instrument he wanted and i was crying i was laughing so hard because tommy only had his acoustic guitar with him so he would just bend over like he was picking something up sit back up and then play it in a different position until the guy heard what he wanted and i looked at tommy and i said i just learned more in five minutes of this business (laughs) than i did in all of my years of formal education (laughs) so i went home and drilled a hole in my bass and put a switchcraft toggle switch in it with no wires or anything going to it so that when a, a producer would say to, can you make that shimmer a little bit more? Can you make it more mauve? Or, mm-hmm. or something? Um, I would make sure they could see me flip the switch, and then I would just play in a different position, and then they would be thrilled and give me a thumbs up. <laughs> saved me a lot of aggravation. So. But it was just a placebo. But I got that from Tommy Tedesco's uh, way he handled himself. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the tricks you learn along the way. Uh, actually, Bass Player Magazine used to, every April, they would put in fake ads for April Fools, but people didn't know that they were fake ads. And they put in the Leland Sklar producer switch in there, and they said you had no idea how many people were writing in and how they could go. And I'm thinking, I was such a schmuck. I could have bought a couple of boxes of these things for 2 bucks a piece and sold them for like $65 each and made some dough out of this. That's right. Oh, that's gonna go on our
5: merch on our merch uh, Absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Definitely, that's right. Okay. A, little only, stick, a
5: little stick on. It just sticks on your guitar. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah it it keeps it back. <laughs> if you're a singer, you can put it on your forehead. <laughs> that's a great idea.
0: So now, only listeners of this podcast are going to know the real, yeah. you know, the real story when they start buying them up.
2: Absolutely.
1: All right, Russ, they always blame the drummer, right? So uh, you're always laying down the beat. Who's the toughest to play with when you're in a studio? Who wants to keep it, you know, it's constant trying to get that right sound? I mean, isn't
5: it... Are you talking about about these band members? Or just
1: just any any story in particular where it's like, this is just, it gets kind of ridiculous, or is it... um, because doesn't the drummer always lays down the beat first, right? Isn't that how the song kind of developed? Well, I guess you,
5: I guess if you were, if everyone was recording separately, sometimes that's the case, but not necessarily. Um, I don't I don't really have any any unique you know kind of drummer recording stories. I was <laughs> usually just terrified the whole time I was in there playing, just hoping not to get fired. So <laughs> you know, uh, that's terrifying enough. Yeah. But. But I can I can't say something about all these lads here that I'm in this incredible band with, is that, uh, that everybody in their own way is a perfectionist, and we help each other be better than we normally are. You know, and we push each other to, uh, to really good, to, to better places than we could get there on our own.
4: Well, you stepped on a lot of toes.
3: Against a lot of people's body parts You thought that loving would be good for you All that loving in you still feel blue think about the life you missed It's such a cruel twist Such a cruel twist Such a cruel, cruel, cruel twist Such a cruel, cruel twist you,
1: you. you ask Carol King for lyrics because you want to get yeah. the right feel for a song. Is that is that what you usually I, do for I, songs? Yeah. For
5: for that on that particular project, that was you know a little album that did pretty good called Tapestry. That you know, I, I just wanted to know what you know what Carol was you know what she was talking about in the song, and a lot of times. When you're recording a song in the studio, you're not paying attention to the lyrics because you're looking at a chord chart or you're, you know, like I, like I said, trying not to get fired. So the lyrics, you maybe assimilate the lyrics a little bit later on after you've heard it a few times. So and in, in those sessions, we didn't do a whole lot of takes of those songs. So I, I, I felt that I if I read the lyrics once too, then I'd kind of get the gist of what she's talking about. And, and, it, and it kind of helped my muse come up with something to play, you know, that I thought would be appropriate. So...
2: You're such a better person than me.
5: <laughs> what do you have all that money for? All right, Leland, why is that? <laughs> it's,
2: it's singles. It's singles. Yeah, but why? Is that to go to the strip club? Are you going to the strip club? <laughs> no, I, I, I tend to put packages together, keep them in my truck, and when I see somebody that looks needy, I've got a package with, like, socks and some oh, that's so cool. money, and, you know, I keep lots of sing- singles and fives and what
4: time are you coming over? Really nice.
2: uh, I can't yeah. afford yeah. you. Can't.
5: Yeah, that's
0: nice. And just so everybody knows, that was Leland.
5: No, yeah. that's, he, he, what a humanitarian. Way better than me. Yeah, well, I've kept it all. That's why I've got that stacked. <laughs>
1: right. yeah. It's all buried oh, yeah. in, in your backyard. Right. That,
4: yeah.
2: That's no, I, dollar one. Yeah. <laughs> I look in a mirror. I see who's needy. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> So I assume now you're not you're not worried about getting fired anymore. It's not like these guys are going to fire you. Ne-
5: never, no, no, uh, no. I, not, <laughs> well, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, you what? gotta you gotta watch your p's and q's. Do you ever
1: get over that? I mean, when you're playing with someone new, do you still get those butterflies? Yeah, always.
5: Yeah, I think we all do to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, even even for as much music as we've played, we're all played together. You know, we're just all so codependent.
0: It keeps you on your. I think it keeps you on your toes.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. the codependency. I mean, the you know that feeling, the butterflies, and yeah, you know. sure. Okay, so I'm curious with with the um, with the music that you've been playing live, uh, not the new stuff because I know you have you have an EP coming out right later this year. Yep. Yeah. But with what you've been playing live, how do you decide who gets to sing what? Gee,
3: I Maybe. guess it's whoever wrote it, uh, yeah. whoever song
6: it is, more or but less.
0: I, less. I, I, that's what I had assumed, but I think I had watched something that was not,
6: and actually, I wish actually, I can recall if, it. If I can, this is Steve. Uh, sometimes they called me and said, I have a song that I wrote and I think you'd sound great singing it, you know, and, and I think there's that happens too. I mean, generally, generally, if one of us wrote it, we'll sing it, but there's that happens as well, and some of the stuff that, Danny wrote for other guys like the, like the some of the Don Henley stuff. He sings really great, and some of it fits my voice. And and same you know so
0: makes sense.
4: There are certain songs that just denote uh, a different. Uh, one of the songs on the record was a song Danny and I wrote. That uh, the best way for it to go was for Steve and Danny to sing this two part harmony on it, and uh, a, a bunch of people singing on the choruses. But the feature was the two of them singing this. So it just, it, it, each song is its own prescription. Comes, it comes with its own prescription, you know. You, you find out what about it is the, the, the right way to do it. So each song is
2: a special case. Yeah. Do you enjoy yeah, also it? Also, when, oh, when, when we play live, it's Lee. Uh, when, when we play live, the, the guys like to try to mix it up to the point where nobody's singing a bunch of songs in a row. So when you see a live performance... Um, it gets passed around pretty regularly so that everybody has their, their time with their songs and not uh, one guy singing three songs in a row and then somebody else. So that, that's part of it too.
1: Keeps it good for the audience too. Yeah. 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 And how do you pick a a set list? I mean, you, you have so many, (laughs) so many things to pull from who sets up the set list. Who's in charge?
4: We all all do. Yeah, we all do, but yeah. And we keep it even. We, you know, we kind of, like Leland said, we alternate the lead vocals, so it goes around and around and around, keep them uh, popping. It's very uh, very rare that someone would sing two in a row.
6: And we space yeah. out, the, there's a bunch of hit songs that, that Wadi and Danny wrote or produced, and we space them out with the new songs and try to make it a balanced in that way. Yeah, I think
2: once the new album comes out, it's going to change the dynamic of the set because we're holding on to some unbelievably great songs right now on the new record that we're not performing yet until the album comes out. And I think that's going to add so much to the set list that, that we were already able to put together because uh, there's the, the, the new album <coughs> stepped up to a whole other level. The writing on it is great, the performances. And I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I, I can't tell you how proud I am of, this the new record is really something special. And uh, once we can start gigging those songs too in yeah. the set and not be holding them back, you know, waiting for a scheduled release and all that, it's gonna make for an amazing show. Yeah.
0: That's pretty nice to hear considering all that you all of you have accomplished, you know, all you all <laughs> all, all you've played and it's written.
2: Culminated, it's culminated in, in this band and this record, all these years of formative work. Um, has really led us down this path to something pretty unique and special that none of us would have ever anticipated 50 years after starting together that we'd be in a band together looking forward. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not a nostalgia band that's playing their hits from the 80s or something. This is still a, a writing band that's that's creating and moving forward. So uh, it's yeah. pretty exciting. It's rare. A man
4: in the street flipping
7: Even
0: it's like Danny
5: they, says, we're a cover band that plays the original material.
0: Yes, I love that.
6: <laughs> Even Genius. when we play the older songs, we we don't play them the way they were on the record. We they take on a they take on a new character.
0: Yeah, and the EP is is go, it's an EP, right? It's not a full yeah. okay. And full it's all
2: be out next year, yeah. beginning of the year,
0: and we can hope to see it see you perform live soon uh, soon after.
2: Yeah, we hope so.
1: Yeah. Uh, lyrically, is everyone writing lyrics? Everyone enjoys. Everyone it? has
3: written lyrics uh, to the yeah. songs. Leland yeah. is not so much of a songwriter, although he could be. But um, <laughs> most of the songwriters the four of us, and uh, you know, lyrics and music.
1: That's great. Are you doing it separately, or is it? Um, I, I mean, I guess you were putting this together before this this whole thing, COVID took every, over. Uh, every
3: every combination. All, okay. all different combinations.
1: Okay. Yes. Kind of like they do it in Nashville. Just lock yourselves in a room until a song comes out. Is that how you guys did it?
3: We don't lock ourselves in a room, but yes, <laughs> uh, until the song. Comes
1: out. Okay, so let's uh, stop right here. Who have we been talking to? Who are these people?
0: We have been talking to Quarto Valley recording artists, The Immediate Family, which you know as Danny Korchmar and Wadi Wattel. Leland Sklar Ross Kunkel and Steve Postel
1: and we will tell more stories next week go on social media to to find out all about what difference does it make sign up for our newsletter at WDDIMpodcast.com and we have a nice Facebook page where can you find us there you can search for what difference does it make and you will find us you can at us at WDDIMpodcast we are a proud member of the Pantheon Network family until next week this is Dave
0: this is Holly
1: check you later over and out